there's a lot of doing your personal work and working out why mm. you want to do something, you know, shift out of a secure job and take on risky entrepreneurial things, um, you know, doing the person, your personal work and working out why, you know, what do I really want? Who am mm. I even? Um, what dealing with that issue? What will people think of me? I would just highly recommend is really doing your own personal work. Mm. You know, dealing with some of the gremlins and the baggage yeah. you've inherited. Welcome to Push To Be More with me, your host, Matt Edmondson. Now, this is a show that talks about the stuff that makes life work. And to help us do just that today, I am chatting with my very special guest, all the way from the other side of the world, John uh, Faisandir, butchering his surname already, uh, from Tough, thriving under fire about where he has had to push through, what he does to recharge his batteries and to be, as well as, well, where he sees the future going. Now, the show notes and transcript from our conversation will be available on our website, pushtobemore.com. On our website, you can also sign up for our newsletter, and each week, we will email you the links along with the notes from the show automatically. They get sent direct to your inbox, totally free, so make sure you sign up for that. Now, this episode is brought to you by my amazing company, uh, Orium Media, which helps entrepreneurs and business leaders set up and run their own successful podcast. You know what? I have found running my own podcast to be insanely rewarding. It opens doors to amazing people like nothing else I've seen. I've built networks, made friends, had a platform to champion my customers, my team, and my suppliers. And I think just about any entrepreneur or business leader should have a podcast because it's had such a huge impact on my own business. Now, of course, that all sounds great in theory, but in reality, there's a whole host of problems to deal with from distribution, getting the tech right, getting the strategy right. I mean, the list goes on. You see, I love to talk to people, but I'm genuinely not a fan of all that other stuff, which is part of the reason why we set up Orion Media and built the team so that they can do it. I get to chat and they get to do the rest, which is brilliant, if I'm honest with you. So if you're wondering if podcasting is a good strategy, a good marketing strategy for your business, do connect with them at orionmedia.com. That's A-U-R-I-O-N media.com. You will also find a link to them on the podcast website as well, which is pushtobemore.com. But do check them out. So that's today's show sponsor. Let's talk about today's guest, John Faisandia. Now, he is an absolute legend, and you're going to love his story. He's a former Catholic priest turned entrepreneur, trainer, and author. His mission is to help people manage their emotions in the workplace and in life. Now, with over 20 years of experience in this field, he's developed a successful program that's been recognized with training awards and is implemented globally. Now, John's diverse career background, uh, including teaching, counseling, and meditation, informs his work and his passion for storytelling. He is a frequent contributor to industry magazines and professional journals, and he has even authored a book called Thriving Under Fire, Turn Difficult Customers into Business Success. What a great title for a book. John, great to have you on the show, man. How are we doing? Great. I'm very well. Thank you, Matt. Yeah. Uh, good. Good. Thank you for joining us uh, from sunny New Zealand. 
Uh, it's morning for you. It's evening for me. We'll see how this works. <laughs> we'll talk about midday, shall we? Then? Yeah. <laughs> Let's call it midday. <laughs> yeah, that's Look right. Mid middle of the day, middle of the day. Now, John, listen, let's... Um, Let's start off with my podcast question because I'm really keen to hear your answer to this question. And so the question goes like this. Uh, because the show is sponsored by Orion Media, the podcast agency, if you did have your own podcast and you could have anybody on as a guest to interview from past or present that's had a big influence on your life, you know, I don't, whether family member, author, podcaster, um, who would be on your show and why? Yeah, well, that, I mean, uh, what a question. Um, <laughs> because there are so many people mm. that have influenced me. And, um, but right this minute, I would say um, our recent former Prime Minister, Jacinda Ardern. Okay. I watched, she, she gave her valedictory address to Parliament uh, two days ago. Mm. And um, I watched that and... She was such an inspirational person. Um, it was a brilliant speech, um, acknowledging the thing that she uh, she's so authentic. That woman, yeah. Um, and um, so she was just there in the house. Um, you know, she, I mean, she she led our country through the pandemic like no other country. So we've. We've had the lowest death rates and, and morbidity rates from a COVID pandemic than any yeah. other developed country by a long shot. Um, and she, she took all those hard decisions about locking down and doing all sorts of things like that. And, um, and, and so, um, now in the post pandemic recovery, I guess we, you might, that's where we are. Uh, the vitriol against her has, is, in, in social media is has increased hugely yeah and so she and she realized that she's now become a divisive uh, um, person you know mm. in, in politics so she resigned but not because of that she also was exhausted i mean she's had yeah, yeah. and uh five years of uh we had this big terror attack in christchurch where um uh, she, you know a lot of people were shot yeah, um, there was a, there's a volcanic eruption which killed a lot of um, tourists in White Island. Uh, then she had the pandemic and a couple of you know several other huge big things. Let alone running a government, mm. she's done it brilliantly. Um, and instead of uh, hanging on or or remaining and being divisive, she's never been involved in divisive politics. Mm. She's always wanted people to work together. So she so she she resigned and. Um, uh, plus she's, you know, absolutely exhausted. And this young woman, and she said, um, uh, I, she had a daughter just uh, in her first year of uh, being the prime minister and said, I don't want my daughter Neve to be known as a former prime minister's daughter. I want to be known as Neve's mother. And to me, this kind of, um, authenticity to me is, is such a, an important word. And that's why I'd like to have her as a guest on the podcast. That's really interesting. Uh, the, I, I mean, I, I'm with you. I would love to talk to Jacinda because at the start of COVID, she was in the press a lot here in the UK because mm -hmm. she was doing things so differently in New Zealand. 
Uh, and there was a social, I remember the social media campaign that was going around saying, can we have Jacinda as, as prime minister in, here in the UK, please? Uh, yeah. which, uh, which tickled me. And I saw in the press today, and not today, was it yesterday that I read that she's now been appointed trustee of Prince William's um, Earthshot Prize? And so I, I, it's it's interesting to see how she's sort of getting uh, sucked into the royal family side of things. Um, but yeah, a really you interesting know, I character. The royal family. I, I don't think she's uh, is necessarily interested in the royal family, but she's really interested in the planet yeah. and making making uh, you know in, in climate change. It's been you know big for her, even though she's not part of the Green Party. She's yeah. got a lot of failures and hasn't been able to implement a lot of what she wanted. Yeah. And this, the, the uh, Earthshot will give her a chance to really do that. Yeah. And Have hopefully she doesn't get intrigued, involved in, you know, in um, <laughs> the, uh, um, what are they called? You know, the, the royal family. Uh, oh, the feud. The, the feud. The carry on. And, and, yeah. Uh, and she won't. If anything, <laughs> yeah. she'll be. She'll help resolve it, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm, well, I think maybe she should probably sit down with William and Harry and just go, right, chaps, let's have a conversation. Um, but no, I, I, I agree. I, I, I would I would very much like to talk to Jacinda. So, uh, Miss Jacinda, if you're listening, uh, both John and I would like you as guests on our podcast. This is your <laughs> formal invite. Because <laughs> <laughs> why not, right? Why not? I, I know she's a regular to the show, so is Prince William. Uh, so you know <laughs> yeah. so listen uh john let's dig into your story a little bit and um i read in the intro that you were a catholic priest turned entrepreneur and one word that i didn't use which you used to describe yourself when we had a sort of our pre-call which was a word i'd never heard before uh was a psychodramatist and so Ooh. you've sort of Already we know there's this fascinating story because how do you get from being a Catholic priest to a psychodramatist? And I, I'm curious yeah. to, to dig into that story a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was a um, quite a time. Um, I'd been, um, been uh, w working and ordained for about uh, seven or eight years by the, when I, uh, I was working in a parish in Christchurch in New Zealand. Mm -hmm. And... Um, Actually, they uh, I had took I'd been teaching already for five years, uh, and didn't like the the um, constraints of a secondary school where I was mm. teaching. But this is because I've got a deep entrepreneurial spirit, and mm. the idea of being boxed in, um, <laughs> in knowing in, in in seven months' time on um, Tuesday afternoon at two o'clock exactly where I would be. This is not entrepreneurial anyhow yeah. i kind of had a had a bit of a crisis a health crisis um which you know got generated from that when i went to uh, the superior the, the boss of the order and said I, I need i don't want to teach anymore he was very upset said all right i'll send you to christ to christchurch in a parish but i know in six months you will come back to me and say you don't like that either he was a bit of a nasty chap six months later when I was down in Christchurch, it was a bit of winter, and all of a sudden I go, I was living with some old men in this parish, and I went, I, <laughs> I need to do something. I do not want to go back to him and say, uh, I'm going to. Mm -hmm. I don't like this. So I then 
I, I saw some uh, a therapist who, who was actually a priest. He um, so um, that's when I began my journey of self development, really. Okay, uh, and he then uh, went off and then for the following year to uh, study in another city. Put me onto uh, his supervisor, who was a psychiatrist and a psychodramatist, and that just was my transformation personally. Um, psychodrama is psyche is the mind drama is to act out so instead of just talking about um these things you you you're able to act them out somehow or put them out in a concrete form which mm -hmm. is a fantastic way of working for everybody actually but for you know um, some people like it even more and uh when i went to <laughs> i went to this workshop one of the first workshops I went to, and they said, "Why, why are you here?" You know, and I said, "Well, I'm here to help my parishioners, um, and I, you know, I, I want to help people." Mm -hmm. And um, the guy running it actually was a was a minister from Australia. He was uh, the Uniting Church, and he could see right through me, and uh, <laughs> and um, and said, "Yeah, fair enough." <laughs> I realised that I was there for myself, mm. and. Um, that got me on a journey of learning, not, not only doing my own work, learning how to use this method. And mm. um, it took me about 10 years to qualify. Um, even in that was a 10-week full-time course that I, I said I need to do a sabbatical. So I got, I got leave to um, go to this course in, in Australia. And um, that allowed me to free myself up, work out what I really did want, um, I'm, I'm a natural helper of people, you mm -hmm. know, and uh, and actually I needed to help myself as well as helping other people. So that, and what I learned about myself and all of that kind of stuff then allowed, gave me the freedom to leave the priesthood. I didn't have to stay stuck in mm -hmm. a place that I was not happy. Um, yeah. And and then I got some, uh, I, I got a job just soon after I qualified finished it was very intense um, learning um friend came down she was uh, in at a hospital um up in the up in the mountains um and said we we're looking for a full-time psychodramatist would you come wow so i did but nearly five years working in that hospital with drug yeah. and alcohol rehabilitation wow and well we'll get into the psychodrama um john because i'm i'm curious to dig into that a little bit if we can but I'm, sure. I'm also curious to ask, if I can, what was it like for you um, when you'd made the decision to leave the priesthood? Because that sounds like, a, to me, I, I, I mean, I, I've, I've never been a Catholic priest, so I don't know, but it sounds to me like that was a big deal, right? And I don't want to just brush over that. Was that a big deal for you? Was that a complex decision to make? Or was it actually pretty straightforward? Uh, yeah, and well, um, in the end, it was straightforward. <laughs> 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 Just about it was saying goodbye. I'm off. No, um, it was very complex um, because of the um, um, the social status. Like I'm, I came from a working class background. My father worked in the gas works, shoveling coal um, was you know the, one of his jobs. And um, by the time I'm ordained, and I've, I've got several degrees um you know you have access to anybody's house uh, people you know people welcome you in they trust you mm. immediately the whole 
there's a huge status involved in it. Um, a lot of my colleagues who have remained, of course, that, that status has been lowered hugely because of the yeah. whole scandals with pedophilia and stuff. Oh, so, yeah. yeah. Um, they're not necessarily connected themselves, but it's tainted, whatever. Um, so, yes, uh, it, it was big. Um, but my final year, I was doing full-time study. Uh, in fact, nothing's another big story, but I wasn't the local bishop where I was on contract to because I belonged to an order. He, he didn't want me in the diocese, so I, it meant I could study. But I also was doing, I joined a, um, an improvisational theater group called Playback Theater. Mm. It's kind of linked. Uh, and we used to rehearse every Monday night and tell stories as part of our rehearsal. Mm. And so I got almost story. Every Wednesday night, we had a group where I was learning psychodrama. And so I was able to, to do, we practiced on one another. So we did our own work. And, um, and then every Friday, I met one-on-one -on -one with this, uh, my trainer, the psychiatrist. So I was working through my personal issues. I did a year of that. By the, by the end of that year, I felt very clear, and it mm. was, and in that sense, it was easy. But during that year, there were there were quite a few tears and uh, and angst and whatever else. Yeah. So yes, it was. Uh, and making that change, I guess, for anybody, whether whether it's uh, some some of the people listening then who might be in in um, you know in corporate jobs and who want to be entrepreneurs, you know. There's a lot of doing your personal work and working out why mm. you want to do something, you know, shift out of a secure job and take on a risky entrepreneurial thing. Um, you know, doing the person, your personal work and working out why, you know, what do I really want? Who am mm. I even? Um, what dealing with that issue? What will people think of me? You know, if I, if I go off and, uh, you know, become a clown or something, you know, I don't know what, what, uh, you know, set up my clown business. Mm. Um, it's really so yeah, it's, it is, it's, it's not dis dissimilar to anybody making any mm. change, whether it's um, even getting into a relationship or getting out of a relationship. Uh, what I would just highly recommend is really doing your own personal work mm. and, uh, um, you know, dealing with some of the gremlins and the baggage that yeah, inherit. It's uh, it's fascinating because I, I imagine. I, I mean, I'm thinking about you know um, your journey from the priesthood to entrepreneurship. I'm thinking about people's journey from full time employment, say, to being an entrepreneur. Because I did that. Um, you know, my wife mm. was. She was. I think she just given birth uh, to our first child when I decided to give give up work. Um, you know, pick your moments. Uh, <laughs> what were you thinking? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, fortunately, it's all worked out. But um, yeah, but I, I'm kind of curious because I'm assuming, John, and correct me if I'm wrong, that actually for you, I mean, you talked about status, but I'm also imagining there was quite a bit of your identity tied up with being a priest, right? So. Doing Absolutely. the work is is that figuring out and actually what your your new identity is going to be? Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, what, what, and for me, it, it was actually freeing uh, because I remember I, I, my first job I got was with the race relations office. I've, I've always been involved in um, cross cultural 
things mm. here. I, as an 18 year old, I lived in Tonga for a year. And so I kind of, and then had done quite a lot of stuff with Maori people. Um, but when I was a priest, uh, I would always be, if, if there was, it was meal time or something like this at a gathering, they, I would always be up the front. I would say the grace and then, you know, you go first, you know, Father John. And uh, then I got this uh, a job at the race relations office and we had a, a big gathering like that. And um, I was now junior staff and uh, I was at the back of the queue. And I loved that. Mm. <laughs> it was, oh, I don't have to be somebody different. I don't have to, what, I mean, I, I, I thought I was reasonably authentic, even as a priest, because I mm. used to say things um, <laughs> that annoyed people. Um, but, um, you know, just real, and that was to me a symbol of that change in status. I used mm. to be front of the queue, and now I'm at the very back. And, um, uh, and as I say, you know, I enjoyed that, and I, I, I was able to enter into it fully and mm. really appreciate what it meant uh, almost to be a servant, you know, and mm. to, to serve people. But uh, yes, there was that, that status, change in status. Mm. And I, d I dealt with that during that year. Uh, I did a number of dramas actually around that change in status and what mm. I had to let go uh, when, I, when I was no longer a priest with. One of one of those things was that people trusted me immediately mm. um, because I was a priest and um, and would share you know very deep and personal stories. Um, but what I find now is people do that anyway, <laughs> even without yeah, a color. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? It's interesting you use the word servant. Now you're at the back of the queue because. Um, what was it Jesus said? If you want to be greatest of all, you've got to be servant to all or something. So maybe it's quite, it's quite fascinating, isn't it? That um, that's what happened after you. Um, do you miss the priesthood at all? Um, I, 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 do I miss it? I'm just trying to think of something very funny to say, but um, <laughs> I miss it like, I miss it like a hole in the head or I miss it like, you know, yeah, I used to bang my head against a brick wall and I've stopped. Oh, gosh, I missed that. I <laughs> <laughs> oh, I could bring that again. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. So you, you process this then, the status, the identity through drama, and this has sort of led you down this road to psychodrama. Um, so you, you mentioned that you worked in a hospital for five years doing psychodrama with drug and alcohol patients what mm. what does that look like i mean paint that picture for me i'm kind of curious about that well um the, in the sessions the pe people would be in treatment maybe for three weeks by the time this, and so their their brains are starting to clear it but this was a residential place so mm -hmm. uh, they, they closed it because it was too successful they just put everybody <laughs> in jail but um and our prison population has gone up since they've yeah. closed so anyway that's another story so these people would come, they, their brain, they'd have their primary therapist where they uh, was seeing every day, and then they'd get to week, week three or so, and the therapist would say, you need to go to psychodrama and sort out this stuff, you know, about your adoption or about your sexual abuse or about your, um, your parents or, your, or, or your whatever. And um, uh, so, that, so I could end up with a group sometimes of 30 people um, and uh, they would, we'd have the whole morning, so it'd be about a four-hour session.
and um, or three hours, I suppose, um, and do a number of things that would would uh, just get people warmed up to the idea, and then somebody would would um, you know identify. They say, "I'm really keen to work." Um, incidentally, this is where I really learned about thriving under fire um, because the um, what. They had this dedicated room. It was quite a big room. Mm. And uh, um, when I first went there, around the walls, there were patches, you know, it's kind of like, uh, it looked a bit like they were redecorating. And I was the first full-time psychodramatist. They'd had members of the staff were running this thing, mm. at, you know, different, different type. And I said to the person showing me the room, I said, oh, are you redecorating? And um, they said, no, what happens in this room? People get highly, uh, ang- you know, emotional. And, and this is where they've got angry and punched holes in the wall, and we just plaster over them. But we um, uh, we uh, we don't bother to repaint, or we you know, <laughs> wow. punching all the time. <laughs> you know, I kind of went, oh, I was, my training had been fairly intense and deep, but I hadn't quite come across that <laughs> intense. Yeah. And sure enough, when I started, people, you know, they they because they'd come out and anyway, they'd use lots of expletives. But my therapist has told me I've got to come here. I've got to deal with this shit from my past. Mm. Uh, I've got sexually abused, you know, and I, and I don't even want it. I don't look. And then they would just go right off. And some certainly did punch holes in the wall. They'd storm wow. out, slam the door and say, I'm not going to do this. It's, I, don't, I don't care about recovery, you know. And um, it was in that moment that I had to learn, first of all, how to calm myself down. Yeah, and and then what do I need to say to those to them to help them calm down? And that's actually what I now. That's the basis of my whole course on thriving under fire. It mm. is how do you manage yourself in these intense moments, and how do you manage the the other person? And because wow. when I left there, uh, I realised that everybody experiences strong emotion. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they, they just, most people are just not openly dealing with their addictions at the time. Um, that, you know, um, and, and so that's really why I, I, I started the business. But often th- these people just sort of very briefly to answer your question a bit more directly, uh, people would, if you think of they, they can set up the whole scene, they choose people from the group to be. Uh, mem- uh, other people in their story, you know, their mum, their dad, their abuser, even, um, uh, or or, and they can also set up a healthy thing. And what that what we're looking to do is that they can have a corrective emotional experience, and that is, as say, as a as a four year old, that they're, they're powerless. Somebody abuses them or hits them or or does whatever. Um, now, as an adult, they can experience that scene again but with a new power and mm. say what does that little girl need what does that little boy need that little four-year-old need uh, from you right now and what can you do i mean it's a big process and often they would end up uh, they would just say oh tell the tell the abuser to go away i said well <laughs> then they would roll reverse with the abuser mm. and of course they would say no i'm not going away and so they would end up then having a very physical fight so it's a it's really a body therapy where yeah. they they then end up um, you know having a fight and we'd get other people behind so that so that they could uh, it was a 
you know, they would feel it and then they'd say, get out of my life, get out. And, mm. uh, um, there was a lot of, um, a lot of shouting and a lot of real strong. And yeah. then they would experience that power in their bodies. So for me, as the, as the, uh, producer of the drama or the director of the session, I, I, I could see that progress that they would be making. What they're doing in the meantime for the rest of the people in the group who are identifying strongly or in different ways with what's, what the drama is, uh, this is kind of helping them, um, relate to their situation. And they're mm. either, either starting them there or some, because everybody's at different stage of their, you know, if they're developing, uh, for some, they're kind of going, yes, that's me as well. And, um, so some would leave the group sort of all very, uh, agitated. But mm. because we were in um, a, a residential setting, they uh, well, there would be nurses and all sorts of other people yeah. around where they process it. Um, but I used to go out of those sessions, or walking on air, just about. Going, oh, I imagine. Well, yeah. that was so good that yeah. that person got to that stage, and um, I could have done. I I could have kept doing it for the rest of my life, just about. Mm. Because, um, you know, because it was so satis such satisfying work. Yeah, I can imagine. And was there um was there a moment uh, as as you're the producer of these sort of dramas? Was there a moment, John, where you where you saw the switch in the patient? Where you you I, d I don't I'm just kind of curious. Was there a tipping point where you just kind of looked at them and went, "Now you've got it." Yeah, often there was. Yes, yes, and that's the bit. But the struggle because if it was easy, they would have done it already in their life. Yeah, you know. The thing and and so often you say what what does that little four-year-old need oh they need a kick in the ass you know <laughs> super helpful comment yeah 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 you know and well of course that's what they've that's all they've known that's what they got yeah, that's yeah. That, that we do what's what's been modeled to us you know and i go well you know you know go over there and be as be as dead you know and so they would revolt you know and then the dad would say, yeah, you're getting kicked in the ass. Just, oh, I'll give you a bloody kick in the ass. Or I'll give you a hiding, you know, whatever it is. Mm. And they kind of go, oh. I said, what was that? And then they might even, um, anyway, there's ways of getting them. Yeah. You're wanting to heighten the, the levels of spontaneity. And the higher the spontaneity, the higher the creativity. Mm. And what they have as low levels of spontaneity. So they're not creative. They can't come up with a right. creative solution. They do the old solution. Mm. And uh, spontaneity is defined as it's an essential part of psychodrama. Mm. Ability to do something new uh, in an old situation or to do something adequate in a new situation. Right. That's the definition of spontaneity. Mm. And, um, and so. Uh, the more spontaneous you can be, the more creative. And, and as right. entrepreneurs, see, you're coming up, you, you think, um, uh, I want to start a new business, you know, whatever that might new, new thing might be. And even if other people are doing podcasts, for instance, but you want something new about your podcast, mm. you know, and so you've got to, the more spontaneous you can be, the more creative you're going to be about mm. actually running this business in a way that, people can kind of hook into it and go, yeah, yeah. that's much easier doing, doing um, a podcast with you um, than it is 
making my own one, you know, but that yeah. can allow me to be creative. But yeah. Um, so anyway, that's, uh, that, that that's to me, awesome. e- everything I do is, is informed by the psychodramatic principles that I've mm. learned. Uh, my whole yeah. course is, is, uh, that both when I do face to face training and then, um, about five or six years ago, I realized that work. Face-to-face training is, is limited by yeah. by me. I've trained somebody else up who can run run these sessions. She's very good, but uh, I want to, I, I want the world to know this how to manage emotions. Mm. Uh, and um, so I've developed an online program that is uh, is really very effective. And 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 yeah. you know, I I use these principles of, of uh, the psychodramatic principles of engagement. Of developing spontaneity, um, and um, uh, it's quite a different kind of online yeah. experience people have uh, with that. I can imagine. And do you in the um, in the online course? I mean, I'm listening to you talk, and the, and the thing that I'm I'm kind of connecting the dots in my head as you're talking, going, well, psychodrama connects both body and mind, doesn't it? It's not like traditional counselling, which is just focuses on on your mind. Uh, you're you're connecting the two, which I think is quite powerful. Because I'm, I'm assuming when you connect the two, you get much better results. Uh, would be my my very sure, uneducated opinion on the whole matter. Um, yeah. And the other thing that you mentioned, which surprised me a little bit, um, and I had to sort of check in and go, well, I wonder why I'm surprised here. And that's when you're talking about the grown guy giving a four year old version of himself permission to feel something or to say something or to act something. Um, and it, you know, my, I, I, I suppose it's a lack of empathy in some respects on my part, but you're, you're going back to these sort of points in time where they were four years old. And it's, it fascinates me that something at that point in time is still having a big impact on them now. And I'm wondering if that's why a lot of the guys would have said, no, I just give yourself a kick in the ass because, you, you know, was, you, should, you should have got over this by now. But you're giving me yeah, yeah, a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, but you seem to be giving yeah. people permission to actually experience that and reframe it in a new light rather than to say, get over it. Uh, it seems yeah. like a, a more positive way of dealing with it, if I can put it that way. Yeah, absolutely. There's a, there's a book called uh, The Body Keeps the Score, um, but we also know in, in, in the brain, in fact, in, in the emotional brain, everything that has ever happened to you is there. And, mm. and um, so you... Um, uh, it's not enough to just say, oh, forget that, you know. And in fact, this is what often happens as people get older. They, they can suppress it through, say, early childhood sexual abuse. Mm. It's a basic case where uh, for men, I think something like 34 years is an average time for them to reveal something. It might even be longer because wow. they, they suppress it because it's just so shameful. Mm. Um even though they, you know, they're not the ones that have—they're not guilty at all—but there's so much shame involved in it. Um, nevertheless, it's there, mm-hmm. and uh, our, our unconscious drives so much of our behaviour. Um, and um, the whole process of, of doing therapy and, and and growth is bringing the unconscious to the con- to make mm-hmm. it conscious. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we had a lovely phrase at the hospital, which I still love, is uh, feeling and revealing leads to healing. And, um, w- you know, all of the 
things that people, the, the difficulties people get into and, and these emotional moments that they have come not from what's just happening in front here. So in customer service, for instance, you know, somebody comes in and says, ah, oh, this is, this is terrible. You know, you haven't done this properly or broken. It, it does relate in some part to some of the service that may not have been good, mm. but when it's really strong, it's related to things that have happened way back in the past. And mm. um, that's un driving this person in the unconscious. And, um, fascinating. I, mean, I haven't read the book, but, um, you know, the prince, I, I, I can't even remember their names quite frankly. Um, the one who's now in America, um, Harry, Harry, yeah, yeah. um, he, he's trying to do some of that and saying, look, this is what it was like for me when my mum died and, mm. uh, and all of these expectations, let alone whatever. And, um, um, you know, you, you said, oh yeah, well, if Jacinda gets together with Harry and, um, and, and, um, his brother, William, yeah, I hope I'm not offending too many people in England. You know, these no, no, no. I mean, Jacinda might come on your podcast. I don't know if, if Prince William or Prince Harry will now. Maybe that they'll just no, come on to mind. What that's you okay. said was she might get them into a room, yeah. And talk. Now, this to me is one of the mistakes people make, and 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 why the train this tough training is so important because. Mm. People don't have the skills. So you can get them into a room, but if they don't have the skills to have these conversations, right. it ain't going to work. And I, I had a, um, a, a client uh, recently, uh, he had his, um, his man warehouse manager said, you know, was, was turning a bit feral. He'd worked with him for 15 years. First of all, he, he rang me. He said, I, I think I need to sack this guy. He's, he's causing a lot wow. of trouble. And I go, no, no, well, hang on, no, 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 wait, 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 you don't need to do that. What's, you know, what's he doing? He's getting highly emotional and shouting at people and doing this kind of stuff. And he says, this is not our business. We don't do this in our business. And it's affecting everybody. I said, okay. And then he said, well, and in particular, there was a young fellow in the warehouse that he was giving, having trouble. He said, I'll get these two in the room. We will try and work it out. I said, no, don't do that either. What? they both need to learn first is the skills to have these conversations. Mm. That's what the Thriving Under Fire program teaches us. How can you manage your own emotions, that these things that come from back back there somewhere, mm. without having to do deep therapy, you know? I mean, yes, I recommend everybody does therapy and counseling, but you can learn some skills to manage these moments, manage your own feelings. How do you calm yourself down when somebody, you know, either tells you you're a complete idiot or whatever they might mm. say that gets you uh, going. Um, so how can you do that for yourself first? And then what is it that you can do for the other person to assist them when they are highly emotional? Now, yeah. these are, they are simple skills. They do take a bit of practice, but they're, but um, I don't see anybody else learning it. Like a lot of mm. customer service training, People say, oh, you know, um, smile, you know, when somebody told you you're an idiot, you don't want to smile at them, you know, yeah. or show empathy. Well, what's that? You know, that's, mm. whereas here's some very simple steps that you can learn. And one of the things for me, I just, you know, these courses are not long, yeah. um, just a few hours, but 
it can make a huge difference to your customer service as a, as a business. It can make a huge difference to the way you communicate with others in your business, you know, like your workers and, and, mm -hmm. and colleagues. Um, and, and my hidden agenda, which won't be hidden any longer as soon as I tell you, but is to make a difference to what happens between you and the people at home. And that's really where I want to make the biggest influence. I mean, I want people to be successful in business. That's, that's cool, you know, but I want people to have really good relationships at home, marriages yeah. or, you know, long term yeah. and with their kids. And I, I was working recently with um, these road workers. Uh, we, we've had some cyclones here in New Zealand um, this, this uh, summer that have damaged roads. Yeah, you know, like we've had floods, yeah, yeah. all sorts of things. So now roads are all broken and there's, there's uh, you know, the, the, the orange cones all over everywhere mm. and, and stop go signs, you know, that, uh, you, and they've got to wait for 20 minutes, half an hour sometimes before they can go. They get, motorists get very angry. I was working with these guys who are out there on the front line. There's just a small group of them. They were all uh, Māori men, as it turned out, it was uh, in this area. And we, I was teaching them how to manage themselves when people drive by and tell them they're idiots and they, you know, abuse them as they drive past so they can't actually do anything for the other mm. person. But some stop and want to want to engage and, and say, you know, you the trouble with you, you know, what are you doing? This is you're useless. These guys, as well as learning that, they said, I was brought up, my father was violent towards me and I, I can see this going to happen with me and my kids. Mm. This will help me break that cycle of violence. Fantastic. And all right, so I don't, I can actually now talk to my kids about what mm. they're feeling. I realize how important their feelings are uh, because, and I know now how I can talk about those things without losing myself, you know, and, and managing my own when I get angry and something, mm. you know, something's doing, they're making a lot of noise or whatever, and I don't like it, what I can do. And to me, that is the real power of, and and it keeps me going. It's why I've been doing this work. Yeah, yeah. no, it's interesting. So yeah, interesting. And Everyone's got a driver, haven't they? Everyone's got something which is propelling them forward, and it's um, it's interesting listening to your your story on that, John. It really is. I've got a question though. Um, obviously, this is you, you've been doing this. You're working with some quite. Um, vulnerable people, you're working with some quite angry people, you're working with some quite emotional people, some broken people, whatever language you want to use. Uh, yeah. People like me, probably, but <laughs> do you know what I mean? But it's, it's uh, everybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Those everybody, kind of things. Everybody's what you just said. Yeah, anyway. yeah, yeah. So how do you, how do you, in the midst of that, how do you recharge your batteries? How do you keep because I, I, you know, I, how do you stop absorbing everybody's emotions? Do you know what I mean? In, in terms of what you're doing and, and, and getting sucked into their story, I'm kind of curious how you, how you do that for yourself. Yes. Um, the long-term answer to that was the, the training in psychodrama, you've got to do your own work first. Deal with all of my own demons because that's the bit where you, you end up absorbing other people's feelings is when when they somehow connect with your own pathology, if you like to use mm. that word, or your own your own wounds. Mm. And so there's been a lot of healing for that, uh, for me. And so now um, I don't get so caught up uh, in, like I, I can be with people 
and, and, and empathy is a, you know, a very strong thing, but it does not drain me uh, like it used to. Mm. And um, uh, so some of, you know, so it's, it's really learning this. And again, this is what I do teach. Uh, you know, you are not your feelings. So I allow my feelings to come and go. You know, I, I become mm. aware of them, notice them. And, um, um, you know, I'm, I'm non, non-judgmental about myself. Mm. Um, and the more I say, you know, it, it's, it's not, um, I, I also am vulnerable. Um, I've always had somebody as a supervisor or, or a, somebody I can go to and I do process that. Uh, these moments uh, with that, that that person, um, which also allows me to talk a lot about my business. Just, just mm. this is what I'm doing, and um, so that's kind of a counselor kind of person. Yeah, um, finding the right person and, and often not expensive to pay. You know, just um, but taking an hour or so for myself to do that um, because. It, even though I'm very good at it, there are times when I do get hooked. It's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can imagine. I'm having somebody that I trust that I can talk to, mm. um, and um, uh, I do read a lot, and you know, look at, uh, um, you know, focus on uh, good sleep habits, um, um, good eating. I've been uh, vegan for about seven or eight years, so mm. don't eat meat and dairy and eggs, which actually just put a whole lot of cholesterol and other crap into your body um, that we're not meant to, you know, our bodies are not really meant to eat those things. So I'm, you know, I go to the gym regularly, mm. um, just do appropriate workouts. I'm not a, I'm not a, uh, you know, <laughs> not crazy at the gym, but um, <laughs> I do things I love. I love skiing, actually. You know, it's, it's mm. sort of spend all my summer getting ready for winter, <laughs> getting ready for the winter. <laughs> getting your skis ready. A week skiing and that's it. I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> so I do a lot of I do do a lot of fun things. Mm. Um, or you know, no, oh, not not a lot actually. But when I'm with people, I want to have fun. I yeah. think that's I like to laugh a lot. Yeah, and um, and not at the expense of others, but you know, just really good genuine yeah, laughter. Yeah. Um, yeah. So those are those are things that keep me yeah, yeah. going. Uh, it's interesting listening to you talk about it because it's funny i think as as leaders as entrepreneurs the usually the last person in to that we look after is ourselves a lot of the time i mean i'm not saying all of the time i think there's some quite selfish entrepreneurs out there but most of the time yeah if my company is doing bad i'm always the last person to get paid right um if I'm always, a, I'm not always the last person to leave, that would be unfair, but it's always, there's always a pecking order, isn't there? And you, when times are good, you, you tend not to notice it, but when times are bad, you, you notice it more. And um, I I think probably loneliness is, is probably one of the biggest issues that the modern entrepreneur struggles with, really. Leaders, uh, you know, loneliness and dealing with all of that. So I yeah. like the fact you're talking about this and I like the fact you're creating something to help leaders look at themselves to understand how they feel in a non-judgmental way and deal with that um, because yeah. that's going to make them better leaders, right? Yes. Yep. Absolutely. Um, and, 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 and you're right about loneliness. And um, uh, I mean, even in longevity studies shown that the, 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 the biggest factor of people living longer is that they have good relationships. Mm. Uh, and it, um, 
um, so that they don't feel lonely. Yeah. And, you know, that there are, even if you are alone a lot and you've got to, you know, I have to work a lot on my own. Um, I'm not out there all the time working with people and even, but, but I do make sure I have a few people that are, we have regular meetings, you know, like yeah. when, um, you know, breakfast, I have breakfast with a friend every month and um, we have good talk about our businesses and what's going on. So, yeah, these things are very important. Yeah. And the key to me is when these when you do meet with people is that you have good skills so that you can talk about things that are significant and, yeah. and a bit go a bit deeper and yeah. and be the real you or be authentic and you know that kind of thing. Fantastic. So, yeah, um, yeah. Fantastic. Well listen, John, we've got to that stage because time has rapidly run away from us. Where I am now gonna flip through the question deck. Dun dun dun. I need oh, yeah. some music. Okay. <laughs> so when you say stop, that's the question I'm gonna choose. All right, you stop now. Stop, stop. right there. Okay. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So perhaps the bizarrest question that has come out of uh, the question deck. I'm just going to write your, uh, your name on it, John, so I, I know who I've asked this question to. Is yeah. there an art to loading the dishwasher? What's your opinion on this? Yes. Well, look. I mean, that's not just an idle question. Um, this is this is one of the questions that, in relationships, um, can um, yeah, pour, it, you it's know, caused a few fractions or, or, in our house. Let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> of course, my wife loads the dishwasher much better than I do, um, because she's forever rearranging what I've put in there. So, um, uh, and. Not just an art to loading it, but I believe there's a science as well. Mm -hmm. So it's both an art and a science, if I can just extend the question <laughs> slightly. Um, what I think there is an art in is allowing the other person to rearrange what you've put in without <laughs> you putting out step. Now, when that does happen, and again, this comes back to my training that I teach, <laughs> is what do you do when your partner rearranges how you've loaded the dishwasher mm -hmm. and notice what you feel uh, i have felt murderous at times <laughs> when she things down. Um, because the other thing about feelings you don't have to act on them because that can lead to either addictions or prison now, yeah um, but if you name your own feelings to yourself, you don't say it to them, actually. That's, <laughs> that, that's even worse. Not, yeah, top ten. Whereas you just say, I am really frustrated. I feel humiliated that I couldn't load the dishwasher properly, whatever it might be. Um, but just own that as a feeling. Mm -hmm. uh, because all feelings are good, by the way. Not, none are good or bad. They all they're all tell you something about yourself. And um, so, uh, look, we're right here in the middle of a workshop right now. Managing it. <laughs> I was actually thinking about that. That's probably a brilliant question to stop on uh, in relation because, yeah, it has caused a few fra fractions in our house. I get the. F I don't know. I don't know if I felt murderous, uh, but I do smile whenever the dishwasher is is uh, rearranged. I think I'm I'm good at the science. I'm not great at the art. Uh, and um, I think art There's often trumps science uh, in our house. So. <laughs> <laughs> I remember a friend at his father's funeral said he, he didn't never believed in divorce, would never have never in, ever have divorced mum 
Uh, he might have killed her a few times, but he would never have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, love Yeah, yeah. My wife's probably felt the same, uh, John. If I'm yeah. honest with you. Um, Listen, John, I've thoroughly enjoyed our conversation, really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for coming on the show. If people want to reach out, if they want to connect, if they want to find out more about Tough, about Thriving Under Fire, what's the best way to do that? Probably through my website. It's uh, uh, tough.co.nz, T-U-F.co.nz, or N-Z, if there's anybody in America listening, just so you know where we are. <laughs> MZ, <laughs> and um, uh, I've got uh, on that website. There's uh, quite a number of resources there, and um, access to my uh, various programs that um, would make they will make a real difference to you mm. uh, as an entrepreneur. If you can manage your own emotions, um, and you know first, and really accept, and you know come to terms with those, and you've got a better chance of managing others. And that's yeah. my mission in life, is to Fantastic. make a difference for you. Fantastic. So that's tough.co.nz or NZ. Uh, and uh, you find out more about John there. We will, of course, link to that in the show notes as well. But, John, a genuine pleasure, my friend. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been it's been absolutely great fun to uh, to talk to you. Yeah, I've really enjoyed it, Matt. Thank you. You're, you're, you're on a good show. You've got some good questions. Oh, bless you. <laughs> lovely, lovely. You're a champion. Yeah. Oh, bless you. I'm going to go and talk to my wife about the dishwasher. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> what a great conversation. Huge thanks again to John for joining me today. Also, a big shout out to today's show sponsor, Orion Media. If you're wondering if podcasting is a good marketing strategy for your business, do connect with us at orionmedia.com. That's A-U-R-I-O-N media.com. Uh, and of course, they will be linked on the pushtobemore.com website. Now, before to, before, be sure to follow the Push To Be More podcast wherever you get your podcasts from because we've got some more great conversations lined up and I don't want you to miss any of them. And in case no one has told you yet today, you are awesome. Created awesome. It's just a burden you've got to bear. John has to bear it. I have to bear it you've got to bear it as well. Now, Push To Be More is produced by Orion Media. You can find our entire archive of episodes on your favorite podcast app. The team that makes this show possible is Sadaf Bainon, Estella Robin, and Tanya Hutzelak. Our theme music was written by Josh Edmondson. And as I mentioned, if you would like to read the transcript or the show notes, head to the website, pushtobemore.com, where, as I said, you can also sign up for the newsletter. So that's it from me. That's it from John. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a fantastic week wherever you are in the world. I'll see you next time. Bye for now.